Hello, welcome to the Kapow Radio Show, Kingdom Against Powers of Wickedness. I'm Brother Kapow, Paul. Here is your host today. Today's date is April 10th, 2017. And on the 16th is Easter of this month, April 16th. So this is a continuation of last week's show on the hoax gospels. This is part two on the hoax gospels that were written in antiquity. So many people uh, believe that they're true. They're Gnostic gospels or they're just nonsense. And last week we laid out a pattern for you to see how these things work. You know, it's usually some weird supernatural way in which um, somebody come came across the manuscript. It was translated from an ancient language, either Aramaic or Greek or Hebrew or sometimes Latin. The original manuscripts are lost. They can't find them. The copies are gone. The translators don't exist. Um, and then you come to find out that a lot of these, the information that came to the writer was through spirits, through channeling, um, where, you know, the spirits say, hey, there's an ancient text in Tibet. And so they write it like they actually went to a monastery in Tibet and looked at this document and they didn't. The spirits, the aliens told them the demons. So they're doctors, uh, doctrines of demons, not doctors of demons, doctrines of demons. Um, produced by seducing spirits. They're hoax gospels from seducing spirits. And because of the Easter holiday, the pagan celebration that's coming up, and so many people in Christendom uh, still continue to participate in several of the pagan holidays, including Christmas and Easter, it's important that we go over some of these hoaxes so that when you're watching TV, God forbid you're watching CNN, but if you're watching CNN, there is a a program they have that comes on every Sunday uh, for this Easter season, season, and it's called Finding Jesus, Faith, Fact, Forgery on CNN. I'm going to play you a couple of uh, clips from that program. One is The Power of Mary. Uh, why Peter was stunned at the Last Supper and the special bond between Jesus and Lazarus. And what you'll hear, you won't hear anything stunning like, oh my God, you know, they said Jesus was a homosexual or anything like that. You won't hear that, but you will hear this uh, reference or this emphasis on a relationship with Jesus and Lazarus about love. And uh, given today's modern world and the, the demonic thinking, you know where it's going. Of course, the power of Mary is exactly what, you know, that is. It's Catholicism and goddess worship. And you will hear a feminist agenda in that clip also. So we're going to play that just so that, you know, you, you know, you recognize what's going on out there in these shows on the History Channel or on A&E and on this one, CNN, even if it's on, who cares where it's at, that, you know, they're, they're doing a Christian show or a religious show about Christ uh, 
his life uh, and resurrection during this pagan Eastern holiday and their hoax gospels. They're leaving big chunks of truth out, uh, oftentimes adding ISO Jesus. They're adding things to the text. And um, some of the texts themselves are getting from the Gnostic text. So something to be very aware of. Last week, we stressed how important it is to really know the word of God and word the word, read the word of God yourself and study it yourself so that you know the counterfeit when you see it. And you know the counterfeit by studying the true, pure truth in the word of God. All right. So let's start with the first clip here. And this is going to be um, the power of Mary. And I want you to listen for and recognize the agenda of the feminazi in this. All right. Here we go. Of the Annunciation still stands in the center of Nazareth, attracting tens of thousands of visitors a year. This is the traditional spot where the angel Gabriel was believed to have announced to Mary she was about to give birth to the Messiah. As the mother of Jesus, Mary has always occupied a special place in the hearts of many Christians. Mary is really the closest to God. She is known as the Queen of Heaven and is foremost among all of the saints. Mary is an incredibly important figure for the early church because she's a symbol for women. There's this idea of a loving individual who is seen as the special protector of the weak, of someone who protects women, who protects children, who protects elderly. Today, the Church of the Annunciation is the largest in the Middle East. The question is, if the 7th century description of Nazareth is accurate, what happened to the other church that once stood nearby? Okay, did you hear it? Mary, the mother of Christ, is the special protector of those that are weak, the women, the children, the elderly, anybody is weak. It's liberation theology. It's certainly not biblical Christianity, but this is the kind of thing that they will play. Uh, This is an entire show. I just played a little clip of it, but they'll, you know, do an entire show on this. So you can imagine what the rest of it's like. You know, I have not seen any of these shows, but I've seen shows like these in the past. Um, So let's, let's do a, let's try another one. Let's look at um, this one about Lazarus. Now, I'm sorry, Lazarus. I I just, I can't talk today without Miss Kapow. My jaws aren't working. They don't say anything really bad in here, but they just talk about the special bond, the special relationship between Jesus and Lazarus. And uh, they keep talking about how Jesus loved him and knew him before his public ministry. And I I don't know. Um, It's just a short clip, but you can kind of see, you know, you can kind of see where they may be trying to go in with it. So let's, uh, and and by the way, you know, the Bible doesn't say anything more than what it says. It doesn't add anything. It doesn't say anything about their relationship or who, how, you know, they knew Christ or, um, you know, the family knew Christ, um, 
you know, in the past. It doesn't say anything like that. So this is all eisegesis. It's all added and inferred. But let's take a listen. This is called The Special Bond Between Jesus and Lazarus uh, from the CNN Finding Jesus Faith, Fact, and Forgery series. John's Gospel, Martha and Mary have a brother. Lazarus. We don't know too much about Lazarus, but there are some clues in the Gospels. Lazarus and Jesus were very close. He is described as his friend, he whom he loved. Jesus may have had roots and family in Judea, in Jerusalem, and maybe even in Bethany. So Lazarus could have had a friendship that long predated Jesus' public ministry. Early Christians didn't just invent people out of thin air the way a Hollywood biopic would today. <laughs> the fact that Lazarus and his siblings, Mary and Martha, are all mentioned shows that they were fairly prominent figures in the early Christian movement. The relationship between Jesus and Lazarus is of a completely different order than the relationship he has with anyone else. He loves him. When Lazarus falls sick, it's a love that will be tested to the limit. Nothing crazy, nothing, you know, too bad. It, I don't know, it's just the tone of that little bit of a clip about... Um, their relationship, and they keep mentioning love, love, love. Um, and this next clip I'm going to play, it's about the confusion of Peter. And of course, they don't mention that Jesus loved Peter, only that they were friends. So I'm just, I don't know, maybe I'm just too suspicious. You know, I got my gaydar on. It just seemed kind of gay about this whole bond between Jesus and Lazarus. It just seemed it had some gayness to it. Okay, this next one is Peter, and Peter is very confused at the Last Supper, doesn't know what Jesus is doing, and he's totally confused. He's been confused. He doesn't get it. And, um, you know, you'll hear this in the clip. You know, the problem is, is we all know that G uh, Peter did get it. He did get it. And uh, on the day of Pentecost, he stood up to the mockers who were mocking him and the other 11, saying they were drunk in the middle of, or in the you know, morning day, they were drunk and this display of them speaking foreign languages, which each person from that country heard and understood and understood that they were praises to God. Peter stands up and says, this, what you hear, this is that thing that was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he goes on and talks about the last days. So Peter absolutely got it and um but according to this clip he's just kind of a confused little fool so let's take a listen on this so jesus and his disciples are having this lovely meal together it has a great feeling of you know conviviality very lovely and intimate and all of a sudden jesus just comes from this completely unexpected direction this is my body, which is given for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. Jesus breaks bread in the Last Supper as an act of symbolism. He says that he breaks this bread in order to illustrate that his body too will be broken. I think when Peter hears Jesus speaking of his death, he's confused. He, he still doesn't understand that this is the way of Jesus, the path that he must take. I think Peter found the Last Supper very confusing, but then again, I think Peter found a great deal of Jesus's ministry very confusing. Jesus was still, uh, to one of his best friends, Peter, very mysterious. Poor Peter, he just, uh, he just doesn't get it. Oh, Jesus is just very mysterious to him. He just, just dumbfounded, just dumbfounded. Anyway, you know, the, um, the people, the scholars and the professors and all these experts that are on this show, I don't know who they are. You know, I, you know, on these clips, you see their, their names. Now, if Miss Kapow was here, she would research some of these people. And I guarantee you, these people are Gnostics, they're mystics, um, they're embroiled in New Age or Catholicism. They're not, uh, they're from liberal, you know, schools, all universities are now. And, um, you know, I guarantee you, uh, there's some background to these people that they're using to discuss Jesus Finding Jesus, faith, fact, and forgery. So let's move on to the ancient forgeries. And uh, so we can see that nothing changes. It's the same thing today as it was back then. Like we said last week, the goal is to minimize Christ as a savior, as a redeemer, because the Gnostics don't feel that sin is is something that um, is a concern. So because of uh, their lack of concern about sin, they don't need a savior. They don't need a redeemer. So they need to make Jesus a mere prophet, a teacher, a healer, a mere mortal, a mere man, a mere um, icon type of thing. Somebody who went to India and Egypt and learned the magic arts of herbology and came back and healed people using the magic arts of Kung Fu. But they don't want to ever, ever proclaim who Christ really is, that he is God made flesh and that sacrifice and his blood sacrificed on the cross for all of us was a redemption for our unworthiness and our sin that we were born into. They can never tell you that, but they want to pretend they're Christian. They want to be Christian. They want you to think they're Christian. That's what Gnostics do. And it's no different today as it was uh, way back then. So let's start with this book. I'm not going to read a whole lot of it because it's really, really crazy. The Gospel of Mary, which is Mary Magdalene. It's also called the Apocryphon of John. The Apocryphon of John. And the book is pretty old because it's mentioned by Arrhenius in AD 170. So at least uh, around the second century. 
He made use of it in his description of bar below Gnosticism. And a copy was found with the Achimim Codex of the 5th, 5th century, which was found in 1896. And with it were Sophia, Jesu Christe, and Praxis Petre. So I'll just read a little bit from it. It starts, the gospel says, Will then matter be saved or not? The Savior said, All natures, all formed things, all creatures exist in and with one another and will again be resolved into their own roots because the nature of matter is dissolved into the roots of its nature alone. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then Peter said to him, remember, Peter's confused, according to finding Jesus. Peter says to him, since you have now explained all things to us, tell us this. What is the sin of the world? Then the Savior said, sin as such does not exist. But you make sin when you do what is of the nature of fornication, which is called sin. Now, I don't know if that confuses you as much as it confuses me, because I just read that and it sounds like total gobbledygook, total nonsense. It's it's so typical of demonic talk because these creatures, their wisdom is just feces. It's just feces. It's the dregs of wisdom. It's it, they're horrible. And this is the kind of gobbledygook you get at these management seminars and these self-help books. And you get this on Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz and at uh, Rick Warren's church. I mean, it's just gobbledygook. It, it doesn't make, does it sound new agey to you? Yeah. Now just think about it. Written almost 2000 years ago. Sounds new agey. It's the same spirit. It doesn't change. But anyway, it's the gospel of Mary. And, um, you know, Jesus goes on and he says all kinds of weird things to women. Finally, they grieved and they mourned greatly saying, how shall we go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel of the kingdom of the son of man? If even he was not spared, how shall we be spared? Then Mary, Mary Magdalene, who has a special relationship with Christ, in the Gnostic writings, Mary stood up and greeted all of them and said to her brethren, do not mourn or grieve or be irresolute for his grace will be with you all and will defend you. Let us rather praise his greatness for he prepared us and made us unto men or rather it says for he prepared us and made us into men. Uh, remember we read last week, um, from one of these books, one of these Gnostic books, I think it was the Aquarian Gospel, um, or may, it might have been the Gospel of Thomas, I forget which one, where it said um, in order you know, for women to be saved, they had to become men, and then Jesus was going to make Mary a man. <laughs> so we talk about this transgender spirit. So here it is again, Mary Magdalene saying that Christ will make them into men. When Mary said this, their hearts changed for the better and they began to discuss the words of the Savior. So she's kind of like the big cheese uh, with the disciples. 
Peter said to Mary, sister, we know that the Savior loved you more than other women. Tell us the words of the Savior which you have in mind, since you know them, and we do not, nor have we heard of them. So anyway, this book goes on and it talks about how Jesus gave Mary special uh, knowledge, special gnosis that she did not give. He did not give the disciples. Okay, so you have a lot of different themes here. You have your goddess worship. You have your, you know, your feminism. Um, you you have, uh, you know, your Sophia, the wisdom. You ha- you have all of this Gnostic stuff. Of course, the secret teachings, uh, things like that. But anyway, that's it's an old book. Uh, so let's move on. Let's talk about mm, the Aquarian gospel. So apparently I didn't read that last week. So when I was talking about the transgender stuff about women becoming men for salvation, that must have been from the gospel of Thomas. So the Aquarian gospel, it's a gospel. It, it would be a skeptic's dream if it were in fact, canonized in our Bible, because there's so many problems with it. Um, You know, skeptics search and search our Bible, and they try to find discrepancies. And they really stretch reason to try to find one. This book is full of those reasons. Jesus is shown to be a traveler searching for truth. In it, he is shown to be resurrected and then travels to India, Greece, and Egypt historical and graphic and uh, geographical mistakes abound in the book. And uh, the guy who wrote it obviously did not understand, um, you know, geography and things like that. Now um, in the first verse of the book, the writer confuses Herod the great with Herod, Herod Antipas, right? Herod the great, which was a king, Right. And then Herod Antipas, which I believe came later. Um, Josephus has, has, has all these timelines down, but anyway, the writer of the Aquarian gospel has these two confused. Um, the Egyptian priest Montheno resembles the priest Manithro who lived 200 years before. Hmm. There's also a Chinese sage Ming Ste. In this in this gospel, and he lived in 300 BC, so he would have to be quite old to have talked to Jesus in 32 AD. That's one old Chinese sage guy. Probably has that long gray beard, right? Does kung fu in a cave. That guy, Ming Ing Ip Man. You know the Ip Man. That's him. In chapter 28, Jesus speaks uh, to the three Magi. Of course, in our Gospels, it doesn't say there were three, and that was added much later with tradition. Um, Also in this Aquarian Gospel, Jesus visits these Magi in the city of Persopolis, but that city was destroyed in 300 BC. So, yeah, the the guy who wrote the Aquarian Gospels kind of screwed up. The demon, I don't know why the demons don't know this stuff. Jesus visits um, the city of Lahore which was not built until 680. The book claims no ancient manuscript. You can't find the author. Um, apparently, the guy credited to writing this is Levi Dowling. 
and he lived from 1844 to 1911. And he admitted that all his information comes from inner inspiration. What? Inner inspiration. So there is no manuscript. There is no book. There is no Aquarian gospel. It's stuff that's downloaded to people through demons, just like the movie Twilight, the books Twilight, um, downloaded to Stephanie Meyer through her dreams, demonic downloads. It happens all the time. So-called Christians are getting downloads all the time. Um, Many Gnostics claim we should look inside to our spark of divinity. Have you heard this? Your spark of divinity. And that gives us our truth. So the writer of the Aquarian gospel trusted that idea and his spark seems to not be able to get historical fact too well. So you would imagine that the rest of his revelation is quite suspect. And um, the author also suggests, remember, he died back in 1911. He also suggests that we are entering a new age of Aquarius. That's a concept of the new age, the Gnostic movement, right? It's the age of Aquarius, Aquarius. So back in 1911, he was already talking new age stuff. Um, evidence within the book shows there's no real source, but everything is inner inspiration. There's a, um, there's a story of a Neo Pythagorean philosopher, Apollonius, of Tiana. He traveled to India to learn the uh, Brahmanian wisdom, right? And he visited nude philosophers of Egypt and he joined the Illusions in Greece. And that story shows strong influence on Dowling's writing on the Aquarian gospel. Hmm. Dowling also shows strong influence from Christian Rosicrucianism, and uh, which also has some roots in India, where the cult was founded. So they kind of borrow from each other, and they do all kinds of weird stuff. And uh, so that's the Aquarian, the Aquarian Gospel. Uh, let's take a break here, and we'll start with the Jesus Scroll. Welcome to the Remnant Resistance. Welcome to Welcome the Resistance. Resisting and fighting the enemies of God. You're listening to the Kapow Radio Show Network. What? And Kapow stands for Kingdom Against Powers of Wickedness. You can hear all the shows on archive anytime or as an iTunes download. Our topics include the paranormal, the supernatural, and spiritual warfare. The Kapow Radio Show is sponsored by Fifth Hook Media. Visit fifthhookmedia.com to see our ebooks about spiritual warfare. That's F I F T H O O K media.com. Keep up the Welcome back. Welcome back to the things you once believed in, the things you knew were right from the start. That's biblical Christianity. 
the Jesus scroll in AD 71, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. The last of the zealots fled to a stronghold called Masada. It finally fell in 73 AD after a long Roman siege. The final defenders committed suicide rather than submit to the Roman rule. And the site was excavated in 1963 to 1965. Fragments of 14 manuscripts were recovered there. They contained parts of the Old Testament, apocryphal texts, and some materials similar to what was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. All right. Well, this guy, Donovan Joyce, in 1964, started gathering material for a book, and he desired to get into the excavation of Masada. But they said, nay, nay, you're not coming in here. You have no reason to be in here. The leader there supposedly treated him horribly. Yegiel Yade is reported by Joyce to have been clogged, even clogged up his hotel toilet to try to get him to leave. All right. So at the airport, while attempting to leave because his toilet was clogged up by Yegiel Yadi, who wouldn't let him into the excavation site. See, so when you got a clogged toilet, you got to leave the country. So he's at the airport and he's trying to leave. And Joyce says he met Professor, quote unquote, Max Grosset. Max Grosset. Sounds like a made up name, doesn't it? This guy was the was acting under a false name. Hmm. Max Grosset. So he claimed to have gotten access to Masada. And he claimed to have stolen a 10-foot well-preserved scroll. Can you imagine this? A 10-foot scroll, and you're at the airport? And he wanted to give Joyce $5,000 if he would smuggle it out of Israel. So he has a well-preserved scroll that's over 2,000 years old that he stole from the excavation site of Masada. And he wants to pay this dude who's writing a book $5,000 if he would uh, smuggle it out of Israel. So in the restroom, where the toilet was not clogged, Grosset showed Joyce this long scroll and told him that the Aramaic writing on it uh, revealed a certain story. So this guy unrolls the scroll in the bathroom and he translates the Aramaic right then and there. Now, these guys are some scholars. This is, you got to be bad to do that. The scroll was supposedly written the night before the fall of Masada on April 15th, or as we know, our tax day in the U.S. By a person calling himself to be Jesus of Kinneret, 80 years old, son of Jacob, and one of the last of the Maccabees. Come on, (laughs) my Lord. So the leader of the Masada excavation, this Yagiel Yadin, the guy who clogged up um, the toilet from Dowling, Donovan, Donovan Joyce, I mean, um, that guy denied that there was any such scroll to steal. He said there was only loose fragments remained at the site. If there had been such a 10 foot scroll to roll and unroll, such would have resulted in irreparable harm, breaking such a delicate item of such age. Yeah, that would make sense, right? If Joyce was shown such a scroll, it would necessarily have been a hoax. So Joyce, unfamiliar with Aramaic, 
trusts his donor with the translation of such and often uses the word perhaps in his explanation. The central point of his revelation is that this Jesus of Kinneret, right, is the Jesus Christ. And he says he has evidence that Jesus Christ descended from the Maccabees, that he never was crucified and he was killed at the fall of Masada. And there you have it. There you have it. There's the agenda. You see how they're all the same. If you haven't listened to last week's show, listen to last week's show because we lay out the patterns. This is one of the patterns. You, they have to minimize the deity, the godhood of Yeshua of Nazareth. So, yeah, according to this scroll, he wasn't killed. Uh, he lived 80 years old. He's descended from the Maccabees, and uh, he died there at Masada. Well, you know, Jesus in Greek or, you know, Yeshua in Hebrew was a common name in Israel. And if someone there at Masada had written a scroll and he had been named Jesus, it still would not prove him to be Jesus of Nazareth. If his father's name was Jacob and he was 80 years old, he would have further evidence that he was not the same Jesus uh, of Nazareth. But here's, here's what's weird. The scroll has disappeared. Oh, go figure. You can't. That's the pattern. You can never find the original manuscripts. You can't study in them. You can't study. They've dis- they, they disappear. The scroll has disappeared. His donor, Max, Max Grosset, is gone. No one knows who he is. And his story is discredited by witnesses And his premise is so flawed, it boggles one's mind of how he could expect anyone to be that gullible. Of course, the Jesus scroll is a huge phony hoax, huge phony phony hoax. But like I said, what's, what's concerning is there are folks out there who don't do their due diligence, nor do they want to. And they read this stuff and they go, oh, this must be real. This is the real Jesus. And, uh, you know, they'll make movies or write books or they'll just propagate the doctrine of demons very easily. The next one, The Secret Gospel of Mark. This book um, doesn't really exist, but there's quotes from it. The quotes from The Secret Gospel of Mark I don't know why he would need to do a secret gospel when Mark already wrote a real gospel. But anyway, I'm not Gnostic. This, um, the quotes allegedly found by a renowned Bible scholar named Morton Smith from Columbia University in New York. Um, Morton does not claim, however, to have found the actual manuscript but he says he uh, found an ancient letter that quotes from such a manuscript. In 1958, at the St. Saba Monastery in the desert of Judah, a bit south of Jerusalem, Smith reportedly gained access, usually denied, to the, to the library. But he got access. And there he was to catalog the manuscripts. Amongst them, he found a copy of the letters of Ignatius printed in 1646, 
Written on the back of the pages was a letter from Clemens of Alexandria, around 200 AD. In Greek letters, the kind used in the 18th century, uh-oh, Smith photographed the pages and no more visitors have ever been allowed in the monastery again. And so the manuscript has never been seen again. The letter is obviously a copy of the letter or a poor hoax for it's written on the back of a book, not printed till 1646 by a man who lived in 200 AD and none in a type of lettering um, that was not used until the 18th century. The fact it was found in a place no one could get to. And the person finding it was the only one in centuries that was allowed to enter such a place really raises the red flags that this is a hoax fake gospel and support of such a find. The text is consistent with other known letters by Clemens, his choice of words, his structure of the text. This adds some weight to the possibility of it being genuine. However, however, the purpose of the letter is to denounce a hoax gospel of the Gnostics, a revised work of a genuine gospel. The letter lists the alterations and shows that the Gnostics had altered the original gospel work. The problem that is contained in it is that the gospel quoted is not one of the canonical works, but seems to be a mixture of Mark and John with some other additions. And this gospel referred to is supposed to be a gospel from Mark. Is it from an old gospel manuscript that is now lost? Or is it a forgery, a hoax from the 16th century? Or did Smith just make all of this up? Because no one else could go back in the library and verify anything. Isn't that? It's always convenient, isn't it? So the alterations which Clemens accuses the Gnostics of making shows Jesus to be a homosexual. Just like that little clip I played you from finding Jesus about the special bond between Jesus and Lazarus. They didn't really say anything. It's just, I don't know. It was a tone I got. It was a tone I felt. So Jesus was a homosexual, a libertine, a magician, and a practitioner of religious ecstasy. Newspaper headlines of the time jumped on the chance to support those alterations. Wow. To challenge imaginations of Christians, Smith subscribed to the melodrama by cashing in on the fine and exaggerating the importance of such a find. Now, most scholars find his claim to be far-fetched. Smith was by then an ex-Christian, dissatisfied and disgruntled with his denomination and possibly had a motive to scandalize Jesus and exasperate and provoke the Christians. The manuscript, if ever truly found, may be an 18th century hoax or a hoax by Smith himself. I think that's what it is. I think he, um, he I think he did a fake gospel. He did a fake thing uh, in order to get that information out. Jesus was a homosexual, a libertine, you know, you, you know, to get that out. Um, anyway, that's that's this uh, secret gospel of Mark, right? Uh, there's one called the death sentence of Jesus beginning in the 16th century. There was a document is mentioned in various writings of Pilate's 
written death sentence upon Jesus. And it was about that time that there was a vigorous discussion going on in the church on who was responsible for Jesus' death. Was it the Jews or the Romans? Can you believe that? And the document found said that the Pilate had sentenced Jesus to death. It was used by some to show that guilt belonged to the Romans. <sighs> if they just read the, the, the real Gospels, Matthew, you have the Jewish Sanhedrin, you have the Jewish religious leaders trying to kill Jesus right from the start, and they set him up, they take him to Pilate, they accuse him of trying to upsurp the kingship of the Caesar, and yes, they have the Romans who are authorized to do the crucifixion, not the Jews. They can't do death. And they have them kill him. I mean, it's it's written there. But uh, someone didn't like that. So they wanted uh, to make, they put the whole blame on the Romans. The Romans did it. Just like the Russians. The Russians did it. The Russians tapped the line Pontius Pilate and killed Jesus. The Russians did it. Um, obviously, the document has never been seen. Never been seen. Even if there was such talk about it being a hoax, even by the learned Bartholomeus de Salignac, um, it was never seen, even though people were talking about it being a hoax. Some years later, in 1580, a new version of such a book was promoted. This time, it was allegedly found in uh, Aquila, near where Pilate was born. The local bishop there sent the scholar Barrio to assess the document, and he proclaimed it to be a hoax. The original Italian text is preserved in print. And is long detailed, and the opening date is even given in eight different time reckonings. It is expressed in formalistic style and it's distinctive of a fake writing. But guess what? In spite of it being declared a hoax, many translations were made and distributed. Huh, huh. Wow. It then subsided in popularity in the 19th century, but lo and behold, in 1850, it was revived when a new copper plate containing an engraved Hebrew text with Jesus's death sentence was found. According to the story, you know, there's always a story. It was found originally in, eight, in 1280, and it was put in some kind of monastery, and then the, uh, uh, it was confiscated. In the French occupation of Italy in 1806 to 1815. Then uh, later in 1850, the French realized they're fined. However, according to the story, the monks were allowed then to keep it. And no one has ever seen it since. To verify its existence, no one knows. The French arts official had a copy made and sold it to a British lord. But of course, no one could find that either. The text of what they say it said was obviously made by someone who had read the original hoax. Large parts are identical. It has many historical errors. The kind that, if it were legitimate, would not have been made. Um, So all kinds of stuff. Hoax. But you can see. 
You know, who knows what else it contains? The death sentence of Jesus. My gosh. It was the Romans. It was the Russians. It was the Russians. Uh, Pontius Pilate's report. Pilate has been a popular subject in many fictional books. Even in the first few centuries of the church age, many such fictional accounts of the conversations between Jesus and Pilate were written. Um, there was a, a novel written in 1837 by Joseph Mary. And uh, this novel was Ponce Pilate Aviene. And it was uh, not noticed a whole lot um, in the United States. Yet in 1859, this clown named W. Mahan, a Presbyterian pastor from Boonville, Missouri, he claimed to have heard of a Latin manuscript in the Vatican Library and said Henry Weidemann, Peter Freelinhusen, and C. Vandenberger had helped him obtain a translation of that particular manuscript. Those three men cannot be proven to ever have existed. And Freelinhusen was said to be the chief librarian of the Vatican. But guess what? They never heard of him. They never heard of him. See, it's always an incredible story. It's always an incredible find. It's like the uh, the Elvis Harley Davidson bike. You, you, you know, when I used to ride Harleys, you hear this story. I mean, I actually heard it from a friend of mine whose cousin knew a guy whose second cousin knew a friend of a friend who used to live in outer space, who had a cousin that heard that went to a garage sale and found, you know, Harley parts in a box. And he offered the guy 50 bucks for all these Harley parts. He took them home and he started assembling the Harley parts. And underneath the seat was, you know, the 1952 Elvis Presley Harley Davidson, you know, edition. And it's a, it's a hoax. It's a, it's a story that it goes on and on. Um, it's amazing. So that's what this, this kind of stuff is, is they always have this in, you know, incredible way they come to these manuscripts. Um, this document proved later to be the novel by Joseph Mary. So Pontius Pilate's report, um, that, this Presbyterian pastor said that he got from the Vatican and was translated later proved to actually be the novel by Mary. And guess what? This Presbyterian pastor was plagiarizing it and he passed it off as a translation of an actual manuscript when it was really a fictional book. Another factor in the deception was that William Overton Clough included this hoax manuscript in a list of Manuscript finds. Therefore, the press gobbled up this tidbit and helped pass off this hoax as a real find. Mm-hmm. Now, this Presbyterian pastor, Mahan, he made some money on the publishing of the hoax book. And he tried it again in 1889 with 12 more supposed finds. He published them under the title, The Archaeological and historical writings of the Sanhedrin and Talmuds of the Jews, translated from the ancient parchments and scrolls at Constantinople and the Vatican at Rome. Man. Mahan pretended to have visited Rome and Constantinople to obtain these writings. But guess what? He never did. Later, it was noticed that large parts of the writings were plagiarized from Ben-Hur by Lou Wallace. 
in 1880, uh, obviously this Presbyterian pastor was unaware that the story of Ben-Hur would become so well known. Anyway, they took him to ecclesiastical court. The Presbyterian church gave him a one-year suspension, but his books continued to be published and many continued to believe his claims. Like many today, there are few that research the claims made on certain books. If the doctrines or bias leans in their direction, they gobble it up without any testing, proving, and researching the claims. They don't use discernment in any way. This is why so many hoax and fake gospels are present in the world today, and they continue to be written. Um, let's do one more. The, the Life of the Holy Issa. The Life of the Holy Issa. This is pretty incredible. Here's the Russians. The Russians did this. Uh, the Russian war correspondent, Nicholas Notovich, Nicholas Notovich published in the year 1894, a book called La Vie in Ganu de Jesus Christ. Later, it was translated and published under the name, The Life of the Holy Issa. He claimed a manuscript find. In a Tibetan monastery. It's always a Tibetan monastery. Have you noticed this? Uh, it, it, was, it was located at the border of Tibet and India. So anyway, Nicholas Notovich claimed he was taken there after breaking a leg and he stayed long enough to recover. He found the monks worship one called Issa. And when they read the scrolls to him about this Issa, he realized it was Jesus Christ. The scrolls tell that Jesus had traveled to India and Tibet years before his ministry in the Holy Lands. He met there with uh, Jayist, Brahmins, Buddhist. Uh, he learned Pali, P-A-L-I, and had studied the writings of Buddhism, supposedly. Notovich said the scrolls read to him were translations of the Pali documents that were kept in Lhasa. However... Tibetan translations are from Sanskrit, not Pali. Pali is a language of Southern Buddhism and is not used in Tibet. But such are hoaxes. They miss many details that would have made their claims more believable. Anyway, the Russian Notovich published this book in France, Britain, and America, but many recognized its flaws. There was red flags. It looked like a hoax. Max Mueller, who was an expert on Indian literature, wrote a magazine article pointing out numerous errors in the book. And then an English lady traveling to that part of the world inquired at the same monastery where Notovich claimed to be. And uh, she was told that no Russian had ever visited in many years. No one with a leg injury had been there and there had never heard of Issa. Professor Archibald Douglas Went to the monastery to verify her story, and guess what? No one had heard of this guy. The head monk there, the abbot, the head guy, um, he denied everything. He said, never heard of this guy. The abbot grew very incensed, in fact, and he said he, uh, he couldn't think of a punishment severe enough for someone to have lied so much. That interview was witnessed. It was signed. Of, by the interpreter, it was sealed by the abbot, it was authenticated, it was a real deal. So Notovich tried to deny the disclaimer, 
the sensationalism about his book died down. But in 1926, an American publisher published it again, hoping the debunking had been forgotten. Yet today, there are some gullible non-researchers who gullibly accept this book um, and not realize that it was a big hoax. Other books like the Gospel of the Holy Twelve, and we read that last week, and the Aquarian Gospel, I talked about that today, would not have been inspired were it not for Notovich's story. Founder of the Ahmadiyya sects, sect, I'm sorry, Hazrat Mizra Ghulam Ahmad. He quotes from the Barnabas Gospel. He also quotes from the Essene Epistle, and he quotes from the life of the Holy Issa as though they were real historical documents. The world swallows a bit of deception, and then it grows and grows and grows, just like leaven in bread. Anyway. Well, hope I didn't bore you too much. That'll be the end of the hoax gospels. Once again, Christmas after Christmas, <laughs> Christmas right around the corner. Easter right around the corner on the sixteenth. A lot of weird stuff on TV being shown, being preached. Um, even in churches, be careful of a, another gospel, another Jesus. That's been going on for centuries. Um, the patterns are this: they want to deny. Sin, the need for sin, the need for a savior, the need for redemption, the need for living a holy life, the need for salvation and maintaining that salvation in relationship with Christ. They want to deny all of that. And it's usually surrounded by some magnificent story of a find, some secret find, some monastery, some manuscript that can't be located again translated and it is always the correct version and the bible you have is the incorrect version even though archaeology and science textual criticism scholars can't find these gnostic texts to trace them back or analyze them it seems obvious but man people just they get hoodwinked all the time into this stuff and you can see it. I mean, you can see it on Facebook. You can see it way people write things and, and their view of Christ and Christianity, their view on love um, and acceptance and tolerance of sin. Um, you know, they're once saved, always savedness. You see it all the time. They just got a, a non-biblical worldview. And guess what? That's not going to fly in the end day. It's not going to fly. I'm sorry. It's not going to fly. I don't make up the rules. God's a holy God. There's certain requirements. He gave a sin sacrifice. He came down here, became flesh, died, actually was crucified for our behalf. And to trample that's just ridiculous. To make to make it something that it's not because of a humanistic philosophy, because of, of demon possession, because of, of cultural thinking is more than a crime it's eternal death that's just the way it is biblical christianity it's not in scripture it ain't truth brother kapow out you have a good week and we'll talk to you soon
Leaders of 